The reason I uh, <clears throat> deafened so many of you just a moment ago is I have a little illustration for you. I'm going to get my guitar pick here. Uh, I'm not going to sing a song. I just want you to listen to something. You can hear that, can't you? All right. What I've done is I've touched a string and I've caught a little harmonica on the guitar. And the way you tune a guitar, you can tune a guitar with a tuner or you can get a note from the piano, make sure that one note is right, and then you catch a harmonic and you, you match other strings. And so I'll catch a harmonic on this string and I'll catch a harmonic on this string. See how similar they are? That's a guitar that's in tune. Now listen. All right, now we have dissonance. But now listen to the waves. Listen to the sound waves. Can you hear it going whoa, 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 whoa? Now listen, I'm going to tune it. What happens is the waves go from whoa, 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 and the closer you get to being in tune, the waves the waves slow down. They go whoa, 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 until they are, they are uh, vibrating at the same amount of times per second. It's called four, a, A440. Any guitar player can tell you A440 is what you want. 440 vibrations per second. That's what makes a note in tune. And that's the way piano tuners tune pianos. Did you know that? I mean, a lot of them show up with their laptops and, and they do it digitally. But uh, the real piano tuners count the wah 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 wahs And they go from section to section to section and count all the wah wah wahs to, to tune a piano. I begin that way by saying this. There is a note that is true. There's a note that's perfect. And you're either in tune or you're not in tune. Now, here we are in this portion of the psalm. You were here with us last week. You saw that uh, there, there's, a, there's a, a kind of a poetic uh, and tonal shift uh, in this passage here. Uh, the lines go from long and fluid. Uh, I, told, I showed you last week. You've got, um, we're in Psalm 19. Um, You've got, um, in verse 6, uh, the sun rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. You've got this long, fluid line. Uh, and in our passage today, uh, you see that the lines are more staccato. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And so let's pause for a minute. Let's read the whole psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens He has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from His pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, Enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold, 
They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, if you remember from last time, the first part of the psalm uh, is about the glory of God as displayed in nature. And the second part of the psalm is the, the, the glory of the Lord, uh, the, the Lord displayed in the law. The glory of God displayed in nature. The glory of the Lord displayed in the law. And if you were to make a loose comparison between Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in the Bible, you would see uh, similarities. Not only poetic similarities, uh, kind of the, the use of parallelism and the kind of the poetic snap of it, but you would see uh, similarities, particularly in the heart attitude uh, about the law of God. So flip over there, if you would, about a sixteenth of an inch to Psalm 119. And uh, let's just look at, um, oh, verse, uh, verse 16. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Uh, go on down to verse 24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Uh, verse 47, for I delight in your commands because I love them. Um, go to verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Look at verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Does that sound familiar? Uh, how about verse 125? Uh, Verse 127, because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. Does that sound familiar? Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's a heart attitude about God's law uh, that that rings uh, so similarly between these two psalms. And in our passage today, from a poetic standpoint, you've got these wonderful statements about about God's law. uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise and simple. You've got these wonderful parallelisms and you've got these synonyms. We'll look at those a little bit more in a second. But uh, you, you've got all these powerful synonyms in this, this, this wonderful poetic form. And it's, it's, it's beautiful uh, in, in its poetic form. But from a theological standpoint, what it gives us is this comprehensive picture about God's law, the, the allure and the excellencies of it. Really, that God's law is good from every angle. It's perpetual, and it's perfect, and it's pure, and it's good, just like God Himself. And it's not just some kind of arcane concept either. And what we have before us is God's uh, the relationship of God's law to human beings. Uh, I want to show you how personal this is and how personal God's law makes this psalm. So look at verse 7 if you would. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now you see that that is a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
the skies proclaim the work of His hands. So you have an, a change of address in the person of God. Verse 1, uh, it's God. Verse 7, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now, in verse 1, that, that, word, that name God is the uh, most general uh, name for God in the Bible. Uh, it is uh, transliterated to English as El, E-L. Not Elohim, uh, which is the most commonly used Hebrew name for God. Not El Shaddai, which is the name by which God uh, revealed Himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it's El. It's the simplest uh, expression of the name of God. It's the most generic expression of uh, for God in the Bible. And before you, uh, before you go, ooh, I don't like the way he put that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saying that. It's, it's kind of like saying, uh, you can look at me and say, oh, there's, uh, there's Jim Umloff. Or you can say, oh, there's that uh, music dude from church. Or you can say, there's that guy from, with the chiseled uh, physique that we know. Or you might just speak in the most general terms and say, there's the bald dude uh, uh, up there. Uh, that's the most general way to perhaps refer to me. And, and this, this use of God, you know, God gives us these names. There, there are many different names for God given to us in the Scriptures. This is the most general one. It's the most generic one. That is significant, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, it, it makes the psalm so beautiful. Because here we have in the very first part of the psalm, the, the, the uh, glory of God as shown generally in nature... I mean, everybody feels the, the, the heat of the sun. Everybody is affected by its warmth. Everybody is, is sustained by the, the, the heat of the sun. Um, the heavens declare the glory of this God generally, and the most general name is used for Him in regard to uh, creation. Now, we switch to the section where, where this psalm talks about God's law, and the, the address of God changes significantly. It changes to capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And uh, I'm always amazed that, that, that uh, such a large percentage of people don't know the significance of that. I visited churches where we sing songs and the words are up on the screen and there's a, a capital L and the rest of the letters are in lowercase or there'll be script, a, a, a portion of scripture on the screen or printed in a bulletin or something and uh, they'll have, I'll, I'll, I'm like, I know that passage and I know the Lord is in all caps and it makes a big difference. Here's the difference. Capital L, small o-r-d, is, uh, you know, the, uh, the Lord uh, of something-something over in Europe. Okay, he's a Lord. All right, he's a ruler. And sometimes, we, I mean, in the New Testament, we call Jesus the Lord Jesus. He's the ruler. He's King Jesus. He's the Lord Jesus. Uh, in the Old Testament, and, and uh, the, the lowercase uh, Lord is in the Old Testament too, but when they're in all upper uh, uppercase, you know what that is? That is... That is Jehovah. That is, uh, in fact, let me just show you. Uh, flip, to, if you would, to Exodus. Um, you know, Moses, uh, Moses gets signed up for the ministry by God. And uh, Moses, uh, basically, this is in Exodus 3, um, and uh, I'll put you at verse 11. But uh, God pretty much, summon, God summons Moses and says, uh, hey, guess what? I got a job for you. Um, and uh, you're going you're gonna to lead my people out of uh, Egyptian captivity. And Moses is like, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of slow in the tongue, and who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Verse 12 of Exodus 13. I will be with you. Um, and uh, in verse 13, Moses is like, okay, well, I'm still kind of scared. Can you send somebody else? No. Moses says to God this. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. 
and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Uh, God also said to the Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, you see those? Capital O, capital R, capital D. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. Now, the significance of that, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, I am has sent me. The significance of that is this. When God says it, it's I am. When we refer to it, it's He is or He will be. It's the covenantal name. It's the personal name of God. It's where we get Jehovah from. It's the unspeakable name. When scribes would come to that name of God in the Bible, they would put something else in there. When people would read it out, out loud, they would get to it and they would so revere the name of God that they wouldn't even say it. They would come to a blank spot or substitute it with something else. And that should give us a clue, just as an aside. Uh, we pray the Lord's Prayer. We say, Hallowed be thy name. Uh, the name of God should be revered in our hearts. It, it, needs to be, it, it ought to be sanctified. We ought, to, we ought to be taken back when we hear people. Or, uh, you know, I'll say this too. I, I know a lot of, I've heard, overheard a lot of Christians that will just throw around, Oh my God, uh, over, because they dropped their hot dog. This is not the way to, to sanctify the name of God, the, 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 uh, 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 the followers of God of old wouldn't even utter the name out of such reverence. But this is the personal name of God. This is the covenantal name, Yahweh, Jehovah, I Am, He Is. Alright, it's the covenantal name. And do you see what a difference that makes when we come to our psalm? When, when, uh, when the psalmist speaks of creation revealing God... A general name is used because God is revealed in a general name. But when we come to the law, the personal name of God is used. The covenantal name. The intimate name. That is significant, ladies and gentlemen. And notice that it laces the passage before us a whole bunch of times. Uh, in, for, in fact, look at verse 7 of, of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Six times, seven if you include um, verse 14, it shows up in, in the discussion about the law of God. Now, how does that go from an interesting thought to something that's actually meaningful to your life? Well, notice these parallel statements, ladies and gentlemen. You've got uh, these, these synonyms. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fear, the ordinances. All right? And go to the other side of the, the, the verses there and notice the adjectives. You've got uh, the law of the Lord is perfect. Uh, it goes down and says trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, sure. You see how intensely personal the effect of these things are too. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That's intimate, ladies and gentlemen. The law of the Lord is, is, is true. It exists, but it revives the soul. It has an effect on you and me. Um, in fact, uh, the King James Version puts it converting the soul. Another uh, version I have says it's the law of the Lord gives new life for the soul. 
And the idea is, uh, is uh, reviving or bringing someone back. It's kind of like uh, CPR or like a, a, an emergency show where they wheel the guy in and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting nothing, I'm getting nothing, there's no heartbeat, and everybody goes, mm, and they go, mm, clear, and they zap him, and there's still nothing, and they go, mm, clear, and they zap him again, and they're looking at the thing, and he goes, mm, it's a little weird, and then all of a sudden, and everybody goes, oh, his pulse is getting stronger, we got him back. That's the idea of the law of the Lord, reviving the soul, getting the patient back. You know, in verse 6, it says that the, at one end of the heavens, you know, the sun comes out of its tent and it rises at one end of the heavens, makes its circuit to the other end, and nothing is hidden from its heat. Just like the, 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 the sun returns to its tent, God's Word brings the sinner back to God. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, it, it does that for the very first time. And it does that each subsequent time for the Christian. The law of the Lord brings a person back. It, it resuscitates the patient for the very first time at the point of conversion. But then as a Christian, the law of the Lord continually brings us back, continually writes us, continually says, and, and shows us whether our life is or that's what the law of the Lord does. Flip, if you would, to Psalm 63. This is, this is our Christian application, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Christian life. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Isn't that your life, ladies and gentlemen? Isn't that your life after God and, and uh, when you feel yourself out of sync with God, when you feel yourself fearful, we, we, we long for Him. Well, what is it we long for? We're longing for that steadfastness. We're longing for that standard that doesn't move, that that comforting place uh, against which we can, we can hold up our lives and, and see where we stand and be righted again. This is what the law does. And, you know, a lot of things occupy us, but it's the law of God uh, and, and His perfection that satisfies us. And here's the result back in our passage. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. That's the second effect. The first effect of God's law is that it revives the soul. Second effect of it is it that it makes wise the simple. Now, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you um, ever watched Bill Maher or anything like that, Politically Correct. You've probably heard of that show, haven't you? seen it? Um, has anybody ever heard of Al Mohler? He's a Southern Baptist. Any, has anybody heard of Al Mohler? No? Al Mohler? Anyway, he's a Southern Baptist guy, and he's got a, a, a radio show. Um, he's a dear brother, a brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, I went to a conference up at uh, Alistair Begg's church in uh, Cleveland, uh, and Al Mohler was one of the speakers up there, and he's a, he's a wonderful brother. He's got this radio show. Uh, it's kind of like a Christian uh, Larry King kind of call-in thing, and they talk about things. Anyway, he played a tape. This was emailed to me. He played a tape of um, Al Mar talking about the Bible. And Almar was saying, look, the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales. Uh, it's uh, mythological. It is believed only by idiots, uh, superstitious weirdos. 
uh, right-wing nut jobs, and uh, it's just ridiculous, and I discount it completely. I don't respect it, and blah, blah, and he went on and on and on. And Al Mohler came back, and he said something like, uh, we as Christians should be infuriated with that. That should make us angry and want us to, uh, cause us to rise up, and no, 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 no. Well, I'll say this. A gut reaction, that's my gut reaction. But the more I think about it, the more I have to say I disagree with Al Mohler, even though he's a lot smarter than I am. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Isn't that true? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Of course the Bible is folly to someone who says in his heart, there is no God. And what should our attitude be toward those people? Anger and outrage and let's make a sign? Or should it be, oh my goodness, this person is destined for destruction. Our hard attitude shouldn't be anger over that. It should be, oh my goodness, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. What a need for the, the simple to become wise. You know, it's the Psalm 1 dichotomy. Either a person is wise or he's full of folly. A person is either after God and his perfection or against it and thinks it's stupid. The law of the Lord revives the soul and makes wise the simple. And ladies and gentlemen, that has grace dripping all over it because we were simple. We weren't revived. And God has seen fit to make us His own. Look at verse 8. Um, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Now, I don't normally, I mean, when I ask questions, they're usually uh, the kind that I don't really expect an answer to. But I really do expect, uh, just go ahead and ask, answer the question, how does uh, the law of the Lord give joy to the heart? How does it do that? Yeah, hit me, man. That's a, that's a great answer. A sure past, a path to rest upon. Anybody else? It never changes. Anybody else have a comment? Tom? Gotcha, man. From a guitar player. Like tuning a guitar, you're on the same wavelength. Yes, I, I agree. This is how the, the, the law of the Lord gives joy to our hearts. It gives light to our eyes, too. The commands of the Lord are radiant. They give light to the eyes. Uh, if you would flip, please, to Matthew chapter 10. And, uh, excuse me, Matthew 13, verse 10. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, this is a good question, why do you speak to the people in parables? That's a good question, isn't it? You know, parables give to some and take from others. Uh, and Jesus uh, gives basically that answer. He says uh, in verse 11, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. See, parables give to some and take from others. You look at verse um, 16. Jesus says, But blessed are your eyes, because they see. And your ears, because they hear. Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, 
Uh, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now, let's move, to, let's move on in our psalm here. We're going to make a little, little headway here. Um, verse 9 of our passage. Um, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. You see that, that uh, all of a sudden the focus changes. Uh, in uh, verses 7 and 8, you've got the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, making wise the simple, giving joy to the heart, giving light to the eyes. You see the law's effect on us, on people. That's the law's effect on us. Now, the form stays the, ch- the same, but, the, but, the, uh, but the, the, the target changes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. See, now what we have is the law proclaiming this reverence for God. And what do we see in all this? We see in verse 9 these statements about God. Look at, the, look at the attributes of God in here. The fear of the Lord is pure. Right? So we see God portrayed as pure uh, in His law. Uh, enduring forever. We see His eternality. Uh, the ordinance of, of the Lord are sure. What do we have there? His faithfulness. Uh, they are altogether righteous. What do we have there? His, his, his righteousness, His justice. That's a sum total of the law. Now, I've got, I've got three uh, points with application we'll close. First point is this. The law challenges us. And uh, I'll show you in verse 4 from last week. Uh, we talked about this. This is pretty cool. There's no speech or language. Uh, the sun can't talk. Uh, the stars can't tell us anything uh, verbally. There are no vocal cords in the sky. And yet, in verse 4, it says, Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Let me read you the King James Version. And, and other versions say this too. All right, here they are, the, the uh, heavenly lights. Uh, they got a message. And here's what they do. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Their line is gone out. Isn't that kind of a weird... What are they saying? Well, most scholars who render it that way uh, say that creation has a, a kind of a plumb line that it kind of hangs down. Or creation has a measuring line that it puts out and it, and it measures the expanse of the heavens. And as far as the expanse of the heavens, uh, so does this message of God uh, in creation get sent. Now, uh, you know, in a, in a sense, it, it, it uh, communicates to all things uh, God's fingerprints so that all men are without excuse. So what we have here in the psalm uh, is the psalmist going from macrocosm as far out as it can be stretched, as far reaching as is the effect of the sun, the universe, as far out as possible. That's the macrocosm. The psalmist goes from the macrocosm to the microcosm. He goes to the way, 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 way out to the all the way, all the way in. And the microcosm is the climax. What the psalmist is saying is, the macrocosm, oh, it's glorious, isn't it? You know, amazing. A beautiful sunset. Oh, it's pink and the colors are unbelievable. Or you know what I love is when the clouds kind of position and the, and the light comes through like, you know, and you're like, oh, I wish I had a camera and wish I knew how to use it because that would be really cool to show my friends. I mean, just amazing. You know, the heavens do that and, and we're just in awe. That's the macrocosm. The climax is in the microcosm which is God's law. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, as you drive down the road and uh, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're a good uh, God-fearing Christian going you know, 82 uh, 
on the highway on your way to Destin. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of little small towns you pass through and you're afraid of the speed traps and everything. And uh, you're cruising along and you think, well, yeah, well, let's, forget eight, let's forget 82. Let's say exactly 70. You're going exactly 70 and you're smoking down the road and you're making fairly good time at exactly 70. And all of a sudden you look up and you're like, ooh, peaches, boiled peanuts. You know, and you're getting in, you're getting in the, like some country. And uh, all of a sudden, you, you look up and you see that the speed limit is 35. And what do you do? Well, I mean, you slow down a whole lot because all of a sudden that sign has gone up and your soul has been taught, hey, you were breaking the law. <laughs> you thought you were cool, but the sign went up and said, no, 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 no. Here is the law. See, that's what the law does. The moral law is held up to say, oh my goodness, that's what God's law is? And you know, Jesus... Jesus clarifies the law. I, I, I don't think it's right that he, says, that he amplifies the law. I think that he, he states what the law meant all along when he says, hey, God looks at the inside. You know, oh yes, uh, uh, you know, on the outside, you can, you can go through the checklist and, uh, and you know, there's no public affection. You didn't, can't hold hands on the youth trip. Uh, you can't go dancing or bowling or, uh, or smoke cigarettes. Uh, that's fantastic on the outside, but God sees the inside. And this is what the law means. So the law is held up and, and it's, it's, it's staggering because it shows us our great guilt. It shows us whether or not we're on the same wavelength, whether or not we're in tune with God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here's a, here's a, a wonderful thing. Um, the, 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 the climax of the whole story is in the microcosm. God looks in. He challenges us. Now, as a non-believer, the law held up, the, the eyes are open to see, uh, all of a sudden the non-believer says... <gasps> I need a Savior. Why does somebody ever say, I need a Savior? Because all of a sudden they're convinced of their guilt. They, they're convinced somehow, they may not articulate it, but they're convinced somehow that there's a standard somewhere that must be kept and that person hasn't made it. And we need someone who has to pay the price for our, our transgression. The law challenges unto salvation. But for you and me, believer, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the law challenges on a regular basis. Everything about our lives is different. Everything about our lives has to be held up uh, to, to a certain standard. Um, I'll, 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 <laughs> let me save that for a second. I, I'm, I'm going to save. I don't want to blow my, blow my point here. Uh, let me move to the second point. The law cheers us. How does the Lord law cheer us? Well, it, it, it brings joy to our heart in the way that you said. It's something steady. It's something that takes away uncertainty. God's law gives us promise and counsel and hope. It removes fear. Why does God's law do that? It challenges us, but it cheers us too. Why does it cheer us? Why do, why do boundaries cheer us so? You know, uh, we got a little dog named Mary, and uh, I'm real strict with that dog. I don't beat her, but once a day. Uh, but, uh, I, no, but I'm real strict with her. And uh, it's great. when I say... No, no, no. Do you know that I can? I might should stop the, the tape for this, but I can make our dog go to the bathroom. Have I told this? Did I say this last week? I can make our dog go to the bathroom. It's amazing. Like we'll have you over sometime. So you want to see the dog go to the bathroom? Because I'm going to make her go right now. And uh, I command it, and she does it. It's fantastic. <laughs> because she knows exactly what I'm saying. When I say the words H U R R Y U P, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. And the neighbors don't quite get it. They think I'm odd. But uh, 
She knows exactly what I'm saying. And she delights in the boundaries. She delights in knowing she can't go here, but she can go here, and everything's very clear. And I know that you do that with your own children and so on. But, but this is what the law does for us, ladies and gentlemen. God says, this is exactly what I want. This is exactly how it's spelled out. And uh, it cheers our hearts because there's freedom within the boundaries of the law. It's that way with music, too. You ever listen to jazz? It's wacky, man. There are boundaries, and within those boundaries, depending on the style of jazz, uh, the guy knows where the boundaries are metrically. He knows where the, uh, the boundaries are melodically. And within that, he has all kinds of freedom to move around. That's why the law is so cheerful for our hearts. It challenges us. It cheers us. Here's the last thing I want to show you. is The law changes us. Um, you see here in verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and, right, uh, and right, altogether righteous. Verse 10, look at this. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. Now listen to this. In keeping God's commands, there's great reward. Now, I want to show you something. Don't turn, but uh, you know, you know the, the, the classic covenantal statement, uh, I will be their God and they will be my people. You know, that's something that you, should, that you should think about a lot. That's something that we pray about. I know Dr. Young says it a lot. Uh, I will be their God and they will be my people. This is God's covenant in a, in a, in a nutshell. Listen to this. This is, this is in Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see why the climax is in the microcosm? Yes, what God has made says, the hand that made me is divine. What God's creation cries that out for His glory in a general, beautiful, wonderful way. But in the, that's the macrocosm. The microcosm is God's law written on the very hearts of God's people. This is why the psalmist can say, Oh, how I love your law. This is why we come week after week after week and hear some guy... What, I mean, do we come, do we come to church to hear some orator... You can go hear motivational speeches and, and go to business meetings and you can hear people speak on all kinds of stuff. Why do we come and have a guy open up a book and plop it down and, and we find ourselves put under the authority of that book? We sit there and we say, lay it on me. I need to hear it. It satisfies my soul. I'm open to it. I'm teachable and pliable. And we pray to that end. Why do we do that? Because the climax is in the microcosm. God's law is written on our heart and we want it. This is the intimate God. It's beautiful. Uh, all things lose their luster and value uh, that are not in accord with, with uh, God. Um, I, I have to close, so let me close with this. In, in Genesis 1, the first recorded words of God are these. Let there be light. The first recorded words of God in the Bible, let there be light. You know, the light of the sun, the light of the stars, the uh, light of the moon. Do you know the first recorded words of God to His creatures, to mankind? Are a command. You can eat, out of, you can eat any tree in the whole garden, but not that one. 
You have a God who speaks the world into existence. His first recorded words in the scriptures are about light. His first recorded words to man, however, are intimate. They're the microcosm. By God's law, in his law, through his law, he reveals who he is personally to his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you've seen fit to uh, reveal yourself to us so intimately and so permanently in the Lord Jesus. Uh, My prayer is, Lord, that you would uh, apply truth to us and that you would cause us to walk out um, in awe of who you are, in awe of the, the reality that we are drawn to your presence and drawn to your word and drawn to the brethren who are like-minded. Uh, would, you, would you remind our souls of those things this week, Lord, and draw us to you? In Jesus' name, 